Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KFI AM uh, 640. Bill Handel here. It is a, a Thursday morning. Another hot one today. June 16th, some of the big stories that we are covering uh, at our trending, uh, the two El Monte police officers that were killed in that shootout a couple days ago with the gunman in the motel room are being honored. Uh, they are, uh, well, uh, unofficially at this point, uh, there are... Uh, the, but there are memorials uh, being set up, flowers, uh, candles, that sort of thing in and around the area. Uh, that was a heartbreaker. Now, also, it's, today is day three of uh, the January 6th hearings. And today's theme is going to be they probably would have killed him. And we're talking about Mike Pence. And it's going to concentrate on what Mike Pence did uh, what the kind of pressure he was under when he was to certify the votes and did certify the Electoral College votes on January 6th. That's constitutionally mandated right there in the Constitution. You read it that upon the uh, election of the electors, the Electoral College meets, they vote based on the vote of the people of the United States. Then the Constitution provides that the president of the Senate, who is the vice president, then read the votes, count them, and then declare the winner. And for some deluded reason, and uh, we're talking about some pretty, I would guess, at least well-trained, well-versed uh, constitutional lawyers who are nuts. Uh, there was a move out there that said, if Pence doesn't do it, President Trump remains the president. Which is completely delusional, I might add. There's no basis for that whatsoever. Uh, but that's what happened. So the hearing is going to focus on the pressure uh, that President Trump and uh, specifically a conservative lawyer by the name of John Eastman, who has a connection here to Southern California, put on Mike Pence that day to either, one, reject the state's Electoral College votes or delay uh, Congress from certifying the results. And therefore, by default, uh, President uh, Trump remains president. As a matter of fact, there was also a move, uh, and President Trump wanted Mike Pence to actually say, the vote is not counted, and I declare President Trump to be the president, to be our next president. Uh, the House Democratic Caucus Vice Chair Peter Aguilar, who is heading this part of it, said Mike Pence did his job. He did his job throughout. He didn't waver in his reading of the Constitution. I, Mike Pence is going to come down on this one on uh, on the good side of history. I'll tell you that right now. He's going to come off as a hero. Intense pressure uh, for a guy who had undying loyalty to the president, and he just said, "I can't, I can't do that. This is unconstitutional. This is just wrong." You know, we lost the election, and you can't just arbitrarily decide this is how you're going to remain president because you want to. That's exactly what happened. And uh, so uh, he just said no, and boy, did it cost him. It, it, it cost him to the point where, uh, and this is, and I believe this, uh, uh, on January 6th, uh, the president 
uh, tweeted out, Mike Pence has to do what he's doing. And if he didn't have the courage to do this, uh, he said he doesn't have the courage. He has to do he has to do what's right. That was read at the Capitol steps by the insurrectionists who immediately started screaming, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. You saw the gallows that was hung outside. Whether that could actually be used or not, I don't know. Uh, I don't think there was a formal setup to hang the uh, the vice president, but I tell you, that crowd was nuts. And I think if they got hold of him, uh, there would have been some real danger to him and his family. There's no question in my mind. And he ran. Man, he just ran like crazy. And it was there. We now have photos of him in the Capitol uh, in one of the offices with his family, and they're scared to death. And his lawyer is with him. That's Pence's lawyer is with him. And his brother uh, and his daughter is there. And it uh, it's coming out uh, quite obviously uh, that the group around uh, President Trump, small group, uh, decided that uh, the not so much the Constitution be damned, but their interpretation of the Constitution if there is doubt as to the election being stolen, and in the world of Donald Trump, there was no doubt it had been stolen. It's a fact, notwithstanding any evidence. There was no evidence, but it doesn't matter. The belief was solid. I believe, uh, I believe that Trump believed that the election was stolen, and others believe that. Based on that, it is the constitutional duty of the vice president and Congress and the electorals to deny the vote of the people and simply keep President Trump as the next president, which gets to be very interesting. Uh, because Oh, there's a whole argument. I don't, want, I don't even want to go into that because I could just now start spinning. Does that mean the president was elected or the previous election was simply – uh, set aside, and therefore he could run again. I mean, I can think of all kinds of scenarios with uh, this presidency and th these uh, these theories. Today's going to be all about Mike Pence and how Mike Pence, uh, who I think history is going to be treat is going to treat very very well, stood up to the Trump forces. A man of undying loyalty, Mike Pence. I mean, he would do and say anything for the president, uh, fall on his sword, but uh, he decided not this time around. Uh, the president was pressuring him big time to uh, not certify the vote, which he is constitutionally mandated to do. He doesn't have the right to say that the vote is not certified and therefore the president, uh, the new president has been elected. And so he woke up that morning. Well, actually it had been going on for a couple of days. It actually started uh, January 4th when the president started pressuring Pence saying, you will not, do not certify those votes. Say that these votes are not legitimate and go back to the states. We'll have the states, uh, in fact, vote. I mean, technically, that's it's going to happen. So uh, let me just go through it for uh, a moment, okay? Uh, depositions that have already been released by the committee show that uh, the president tried to, this is President uh, Trump, persuade Pence to intervene. These were private Oval Office meetings January 4th and 5th. And in the morning of the 6th, the phone call to Pence. Uh, and then that wasn't working, so uh, the president went public. 
lambasting him in that speech ahead of the attack. Remember on uh, the uh, the rally that the president spoke at, uh, tweeting to his supporters, not only saying it, but tweeting that Pence didn't have the courage to do what he should have, what should be done, and that is to decertify, not declare uh, Joe Biden the president. And uh, the uh, committee chair or the uh, vice chair of this committee. Uh, said, you will hear from a witness who says if they would have found Pence, they probably would have killed him. Uh, I don't have any doubt. We we heard it on uh, – heard uh, the video and the audio of it where the crowd is screaming, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. And that wasn't – they weren't in a frivolous mood. This wasn't a jovial, oh, let's hang the guy. I mean, this was pretty serious stuff. Greg Jacob, uh, Pence's chief counsel, was – at uh, the meeting with uh, this lawyer Eastman and Trump, uh, as uh, the uh, vice president was pushed to intervene, uh, he was also with Pence inside the Capitol on January 6th. He was right there as Pence was being taken away, uh, basically to save his life, as were all the legislators. And uh, even there were emails back and forth, not only uh not only there were discussions on the telephone, there were emails that went back and forth between Eastman and uh, and Greg Jacob, who is Pence's chief counsel, Pence's attorney. Who is Eastman? He's a lawyer who really was the architect of here's how we are going to get uh, Donald Trump uh, named the president. Here's how we're going to undo what the Constitution calls for. It's real simple. And he came up with this theory that if you don't certify, that means that the the Pence can somehow declare President Trump the president because the votes weren't properly tallied or because he didn't believe in it. I mean, it's just uh, what people are saying is had that had Pence actually gone through with that and failed to uh, declare uh, President uh, Biden the new president of the United States, the newly elected president, we would have had a real big constitutional issue. I don't know about that because I think the Supreme Court would have literally weighed in that day on an emergency hearing. So after the riot ended, right, it's over. Eastman uh, emails Jacob again to say the vice president should still send the election back to the states rather than certifying it. Because remember, you had the riot. Uh, the Congress was in was uh, at uh, a, they were convenient to count the votes, electoral votes right in the middle of it. The riot occurs. Uh, Secret Service has to take all the legislators, Mike Pence, everybody away, hide them, squirrel them somewhere in the Capitol. We don't know exactly which rooms. And then for several hours, the riot continues. The people break in. They go into Nancy Pelosi's office, uh, rampage through the Capitol. And then uh, order is restored. Congress goes back. Mike Pence says, now let's get on with it and goes ahead and certifies the vote. Uh, so that is the timeline. Now, Eastman, uh, a former Chapman University professor, he was the architect of uh, what Pence should have done, according to Trump. Uh, and it's uh, just his whole theory. Uh, you, you, Vice President Pence, uh, send the results back to the states for one of two things, either to invalidate the vote completely or re-examine the results and declare the votes uh, invalid, that for some reason declaring that there was fraud, even though uh, a lot of the electoral officials were requested and looked at it and counted and recounted the vote, it didn't matter. 
the theory here is that not even a recount was necessary. It was simply a declaration by the vice president refusing to certify the vote. Therefore, under the Constitution, says he has to certify. Therefore, Joe Biden is not elected because he didn't say, here's Joe Biden's election. Therefore, it goes back to the states. The elector, the electors can change their mind or the legislature can set up their own electors and ostensibly ignore the vote of uh, the people. Sort of a bunch of different theories up there. Now, the House does pick the president if no presidential candidate receives the required 270 votes in the Electoral College. Here's another spin. And each, each state gets a single vote. 50 states, 50 votes, and uh, and a tiebreaker with the vice president. At the time, the Republicans actually controlled the state legis- the state delegations. So had that happened, uh, then I think it would have been uh, Donald Trump winning the election if it had gone to the states, and that's never happened. So this is what the argument is. It would be a huge constitutional crisis, which— uh, I, I Again, I don't know. Uh, Aguilar of the committee, who is main, the main presenter today, said President Trump, Trump woke up on January 6th feeling he still had a path to be the president at the end of the day. He still, still felt he had a solid path. I mean, when you look at the hubris, it's pretty astounding uh, that uh, President Trump thought, I'm going to be president and here's how I'm going to stay president. And it's the scary part is, is that those who support the premise that the election was stolen uh, have virtually no, well, I don't think they have any proof. If they do have proof of uh, any fraud, uh, it certainly wasn't enough in any way to influence the vote. And that is the problem because, and I think here's the thinking, people want President Trump to stay the president so desperately. If they find, let's say, in an election of, 2,000 in a precinct of 2,000 or 5,000 people, you find one or two uh, votes that are fraudulent. That means we extrapolate it out and we have enough to flip the state. If you have one, then you have 200. If you have 200, then you have 500 or 800 or 10,000. That's the thinking. And even though the court 63 times or 62 times said, show me the proof, show me the proof. I mean, these judges are willing to look at it. Show me the facts. Matter of fact, in some cases, they were left to amend. Hey, you don't have the facts in this pleading. Go back and find me some facts. These are judges saying that. And those that were decrying the vote, arguing the fraud, could not do that. And uh, I want to end with this. Uh, David uh, O. Carter, the judge, federal judge, who also is the judge involved in the homeless issue here in Southern California, uh, he had said in an ordering requiring Eastman to hand over the emails, this is when the committee, uh, Eastman said no to the committee and uh, went to federal court. And uh, the judge uh, ordered him to go ahead and hand over emails. And what he said is that the emails showed, now Eastman was, call, uh, was saying it was executive privilege. Okay, judge said no, thank you. Uh, that... Uh, the emails, according to the judge, showed that uh, they were trying to get uh, Pence to implement an illegal and unconstitutional act 
more likely than not, uh, Eastman and the president conspired to obstruct Congress on January 6th. That's the allegation. And it is a big one. Now, is anything going to happen as a result of this? What does all this mean? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. People are dead set in their views no matter what. I mean, there could be a video, there could be an email specifically saying, ignore the Constitution. We are going to undo the Constitution today. And oh, that doesn't matter. Honestly, it's, it's astounding. All right. Now, I want to give you a quote from the governor. And does this sound familiar to you? Quote, we're in a new era. Uh, the idea of your nice little green grass getting lots of water every day, that's going to be a thing of the past. We're in a historic drought, and that demands unprecedented action, close quote. Doesn't that sound like our governor? Well, it was our governor, Jerry Brown, in 2015. That was the last go-round with the drought. So here we are seven years later, again, uh, cutbacks. Uh, boy, are we facing calls for cutbacks. The heat waves, uh, the record dryness, climate change convergences. We're in the middle of uh, an enormous heat wave, uh, not just not just California, but across the country. Uh, 100 million Americans are under heat alert uh, right now as we speak. We're going to be in triple digits again today. And uh, we're now into year three of this drought. So um, what have we learned since then? Since we really put into place and the, the, the government, the governor, the legislature put into place, the, the water agencies put into place some real cuts. Uh, we ready to do it again? You know, have we learned enough? Well, the experts say, yeah and no. Now, there are promises made during the previous drought, uh, greater investment in water capture, recycling. Uh, those have gone pretty well. Uh, but uh, the conservation part is slipping. And then you have well drilling that has taken on a whole new level since the last time around. That has really exploded. And we've got some issues here in terms of the aquifer, the water level uh, underground, uh, the uh, environmental impact, uh, fish and forests. I mean, there's a lot of it. And Felicia Marcus, a fellow at Stanford University, the Water in the West Project, course uh here's here's what she said in some ways the way we use water is pretty much like gambling we're gonna have to learn how to hold back in normal times to see us through the longer dry times and frequent dry times and she's basically saying uh, you know uh, it's a new normal we got a lot of new normals in the last few years haven't we boy have we ever uh, in 2016 governor brown uh, lifted the last statewide drought emergency but he also sent down an executive order uh, vowing to make water conservation a way of life in California. And you know what? We've done okay with that, actually. Uh, we uh, maintained a per capita water use of around 90 gallons per person per day for the next several years. But uh, we slipped from that. As a matter of fact, April, last April, 18% more water use than compared to the same month in 2020. And that was the year the drought began in 2020 and uh it you know both good and bad for example we have made some lasting changes uh, upgrading appliances uh that's helped which are more efficient uh we are more conscious of their consumption and the use of water 
Uh, and uh, more and more people are jumping into these programs that help you convert uh, grass lawns into uh, succulents, drought-tolerant landscaping, indigenous uh, landscaping here in California. So we're moving in that direction. Uh, and the other big change is that the last drought had a whole flurry of legislation that came to, to the forefront that led to more stringent requirements for regional water suppliers. <clears> hmm. <throat> And that is the problem because you now have a limited amount of water coming in from the water suppliers to the water districts. And that translates into, okay, if we can't get the water there, we now get it over there. Over there means you dig wells. And there aren't nearly enough requirements on wells. And boy, there is a bottleneck uh, there because when the water doesn't come in from the rivers, from the reservoirs, from uh, the snowpack, and then you can't get more water from uh, the wells because they've either run dry or the requirements are too stringent, now where do you go? Well, there are some answers, but I'm going to analogize this to uh, the Manhattan Project when the United States during World War II built the atomic bomb. Unfortunately, we have a few of those, not the atomic bomb part, but a few of those projects that's going to take, have to take that kind of concentration, effort, and focus. And this is certainly one of them. And I had quoted a statement made by the governor uh, that we're in a historic drought and that demands unprecedented action. That was Jerry Brown in 2015. This time around, next drought, we've been in it now for three years, as I said, uh, we're at a whole new level, both good and bad. Good? We've got better water control. Uh, we are actually maintaining our consumption here in California for the most part, except for the last month or two has gone up. Uh, we have energy efficient uh, appliances that you don't use much water. And so we've been moving in that direction. We're moving towards drought tolerant plants. I mean, we're, we're moving, but at the same time, uh, we're behind on a lot of stuff uh, that we have to get to. There is no question. Uh, that if we don't get there, as I said before the break, we, we have to make, and that is we Californians, business, uh, the state, the, the, the people, the, the general population, we've got to get together on this one and say we're going to run out of water. Because the last drought, what ended up happening is uh, the law was passed saying, okay, the water, uh, the state can control and reduce the amount of uh, water that goes to uh, the various water agencies and all kinds of regulations put into place uh, that basically meant less water. It was easier for the water to be cut off by the agencies to the water uh, consumers, us. So we went to uh, ground wells. That's where you get it. Can't get it from there. You get it from there. Well, the ground wells are drying up. So, man, now we're stuck between uh, a, a dry rock and a dry hard place. And so the move has to really get going, and we're on our way. However, However, look at what we can do. And this is not pie in the sky. It's just expensive. Of course it is. And it's going to, be, yeah, it's going to take a concerted effort. Uh, and it is, in many ways, very long-term. For example, uh, the Pacific Institute, which is a, a nonprofit, it's a think tank, a uh, study just came back that we can reduce our urban water use, cities, main, mainly cities, by as much as 48%. We can cut it in half through existing technologies and improved efficiency measures. Now, we have to spend money on it, but we don't need new technology for it. Uh, in 2014, uh, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act uh, was passed, uh, intended to address 
overpumping. And here's what happens. During dry periods, and this is agricultural users in general, rely very heavily on groundwater uh, because they're faced with cutbacks and deliveries from the state, so therefore they go to the ground. But uh, therein lies a big problem, and that is uh, that you pump out, it has to come back. I mean, that has to be replaced. Uh, Jay Lund, who's co-director of the Center for Watershed Sciences at at UC Davis, said you've got to find ways during non-drought years to repay the extra water you pumped out of the ground. Problem is, I don't think there's going to be any non-drought years left. Now, part of the problem with that management, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act in 2014, was the timeline for implementation to get all this in place. More than 20 years. So that led to a frenzy of wells rigging, of wells uh, digging between the two droughts. And you've got thousands of wells in the Central Valley and other areas that are, well, they're at risk of going dry right now. So to slow that down, uh, Governor Newsom signs an executive order saying that uh, groundwater, uh, uh, local groundwater agencies, that's a separate jurisdiction, saying new wells have to be drilled with sustainability plans in place. I mean, you got to get a permit and show how you're not going to just suck up the water without any kind of mitigation. Uh, that is new, and uh, they're, they're, they rush to do that. Why? That's why so many wells have been drilled. And the other big one is, and this is going to be big, but this is money, and that is a capture and reuse. Remember in 2018, we passed Measure W, massive tax, aimed at uh, capturing stormwater before it reaches the ocean. Well, only a, a fraction of that money has been funded. Construction is way lagging, and here is the problem. Now, this could capture as much as 98 billion gallons of water annually. I mean, this alone could make uh, all the difference in the world. I mean, this would be the majority of the water uh, that's saved. The problem is, if you look at the timeline, it's 50 years to build out the entire system. So we look at other major projects that are in the works. Uh, One is the L.A. Department of Water and Power. They have something called Operation Next, which aims to recycle uh, as much as 100 percent all the water that comes out of the Hyperion Water Reclamation Plant by 2035. This is our sewage plant. So it's actually one of the best in the world, a Hyperion plant down in Marina del Rey. And this is where the sewage comes down. You flush the toilet, sewage goes down, it goes to the plant, and then the water is purified and sent out to the ocean. So it's obviously perfectly clean. That water can be recycled. Sewage water can be recycled, and we're going to get there. You watch. Because of the limitations uh, of the amount of water that's on this planet, it's finite. This is the water we have. That's it. They're not making any more. Now it's the question of how the pie is going to be split, either by nature. So let's go to um, uh, some of the national parks. Go to the Midwest and create more floods than you've ever seen. A thousand-year flood. Uh, Let's go to the east where flooding takes place. Uh, Storms, Central America where the flooding is crazy. Or we can come here where there's no water anymore. So nature has a way of distributing water, doesn't it? On the other hand, um, you know what? We've got to do a lot, too, and back we go. We don't get on this. This this conversation is going to happen a whole lot more often. It ain't going to be very good. Um, so uh, just fair warning. I'm a big fan about this. Let me tell you. Let's, get, let's have fun coming up, okay? Uh, travel. 
we're going to have fun. Summer's travel, and we'll introduce you to someone new here on the program. This is KFI AM640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.